Hello, this is Bethany Leon, editor of Heat Treat Radio, stepping in with a quick word about this episode, which is available in full video. Watch and listen to the full length of the episode at heattreattoday.com forward slash radio and look for Heat Treat legend Bill Jones. Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Today's 2022 Media Kit. Download a full copy of the Media Kit at heattreattoday.com forward slash 2022 Media Kit. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, sits down with guest Bill Jones, CEO of the Solar Atmosphere Group Companies, in the premiere episode of a periodic feature called Heat Treat Legends. In these conversations, senior individuals in the North American heat treat market share their expertise and experience with those less senior. Our first legend on heat treat radio does just that, sharing how he grew professionally and what advice a quote-unquote technocrat, as Bill calls himself, would give to the younger generations. All right, well, welcome everyone to a episode of, in fact, this is our inaugural issue of episode of uh, Heat Treat Legends. Uh, we're going to start with a, a true Heat Treat legend, gentleman by the name of William Jones from uh, from Solar Atmospheres, Solar Manufacturing. We're going to talk to him about his, uh, his life experiences and some of the things that we'd like to uh, some of the things we'd like to get get his perspective on. So, Bill, first off, I just wanted to uh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate you joining us for uh, for this episode, Heat Treat Radio. Oh, thank you very much, Doug. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, as you know, I, I've had a long life. And uh, to be a legend is something I never really expected. Most of us don't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk a brief introduction who you are, where you're, where you are right now, and what your what your role is in the companies that you uh, own. I've been a technocrat all my life. It started when I was very young, when I was really about seven or eight years old, and I've always been very technically oriented and technically driven. As a matter of fact, the various people that I have worked for have always complained about that. And they said, you know, Bill, you're always interested in the technology and you're not interested in whether you're making or losing money. And we don't <laughs> want to hear about the technology. We want to see what's on the bottom line. So <laughs> that's sort of where I came from. And, and uh, so in my uh, it, after I graduated from college, I went to work for a small company, and we were involved in electromechanical things. Uh, a lot of our work was development work out of the DuPont company at their from their exper- experimental station in Wilmington, Delaware, which was one of the premier at the time, uh, premier development centers in the country. I, I don't think it's that way so much anymore, but it was at the time. It was a really a pyramid sort of place. Anyway, I was in, so I was introduced to some extent in my early days. I was inter, introduced into to uh, particularly into to uh, dew point analyzers. They had okay. developed a a trace, what they called a trace moisture analyzer, which would measure down to about one or two parts per million. And it was right out of the development laboratory, and our company uh, built it. And then we, my my boss at that time. Uh, he 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 uh, worked out to to have a license to build the instrument, and I, I ended up to be the engineer in charge of putting the thing into production. So, it, at the, like I say, at the time, and we're talking about now, the nineteen late nineteen fifties or so, uh, or nineteen sixties anyway, something like that. 
there was no real continuous recording of moisture or dew point. I'm talking about low, like down around uh, minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit, a few parts mm -hmm. per million. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of a breakthrough. And uh, it was an interesting instrument. The instrument is still de being built. And uh, I, so I was, you know, I was very instrumental in that instrument. So that was my uh, sort of introduction into, into the, uh, uh, the technology, so to speak. And um, so then I went on and... Um, I, I became I became uh, involved in in optical pyrometers. As a matter of fact, I was going to bring with me, and I didn't, one of the uh, early uh, pyro temperature optical pyrometers, uh -huh. which was built by Leeds and Northrop. Yeah, and uh, that was developed in the 1930s, and it's it's still used today. And it was the standard in the industry for many many years. Anyway, that introduced me into the furnace industry. And uh, uh, measuring t temperatures uh, with that instrument, and then with with an electronic optical pyrometer that was developed by another company, and I learned all the problems with optical pyrometers with respect to emissivity and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So that was sort of my uh, early years. Uh, I, the, I went to work really then. In uh, about 1963, I think it was, I went to work for ABAR, and I was the eighth employee with the company. Okay. So that put me into the furnace business. Now, the the ABAR furnaces at that time were very high techy. They were, uh, you know, uh, designed to operate at uh, temperatures of 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit and up. Yeah. Uh, above temperatures where you could really use thermocouples, actually. So that fit with my optical pyrometer experience, one of the right. reasons I went there. So we were building these uh, furnaces, and we built them for the electronics industry, particularly for centering of tantalum anodes. And so I had a very wide experience with that particular product. And then it graduated into, we got, we got involved in other uh, technology, particularly, we got involved with uh, more normal, what I'll call industrial uh, processing, because it, it, this, this high temperature technology was either solid, solid state related, like with the tantalum capacitor, or right. with uh, uh, at that time with the development of, of, of the space uh, launching and all that sort of thing. Sure. So then, it, with the changes in administration, and we went away from from uh, space technology to some extent in in the middle '60s. So it meant that uh, I I had we had to we had this furnace technology, and we had to put it to use. So then we looked at industrial processes. So we started to look at things like uh, jet engine processing parts for jet engines, and all that sort of thing. So that really was uh, my early, very early years at, at um, uh, to get into this business. And it's, so it morphed, I'm, I went into, um, as I say, into the, the pr pr production uh, uh -huh. aspect of the furnaces. And a very significant note, we built, uh, uh, we had, we built a couple, a number of furnaces for uh, what was uh, uh, the atomic energy people, uh, particularly at Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And there was a bid came out for a horizontal vacuum furnace, and it had a one-line drawing of, of a, a hot zone with a ring. Okay. And Well, I shouldn't say a ring. We made it into a ring. 
but it was this line drawing of what the round hot zone with this part sitting in the center of it, which I really can't say too much about. But anyway, um, we de- I didn't design that, but we had a couple of, of engineers that designed the hot zone. And uh, uh, at that time, the A-bar was owned principally by a man by the name of Charlie Hill. And um, so he sort of oversat overlooked the whole project and right. at the at the end of the day after the thing was built and not turned on they handed it over to me and i had i was uh, like the equivalent of chief engineer for the company so i had the the, the task of starting that furnace up and uh, it was a very interesting experience and i it was for the first time that i really saw what that ring hot zone could do and and uh didn't really recognize all of its advantages when we first put it online and started to build it or test it, I should say. But uh, we realized that we had something different. But yeah, whenever you have something different, you don't always know what to do with it. <laughs> exactly. So that's about where we were. But in a, a year, a year and a half, we started to see the advantages of that hot zone. Yeah. And uh, that, that now I was instrumental uh, in, de- in the development of the gas cooling system. Okay. Yeah, and because the original system did not have any, uh, uh, it didn't. It did not have any recirculation uh, abilities. In other words, it would not quench. Right. So it it was just static cooling. So that whole thing of how to do that, uh, I worked on that and got it. So after a lot of failures, I might say, we got it. We got (laughs) we got it to work satisfactorily, and it's it has grown and grown and grown ever since. Yeah. So there's other there's other things about the, the furnace technology that I've had my fingers on. Right. And it was it's been a very pleasant experience, Doug. Yeah. I, I, I could go on for the rest of our time talking about yeah. this, but I won't. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. At least gives our at least gives our listeners a, a, some sense of of your background. And I might mention, and we'll show this on the on the podcast, Bill, but I might mention anybody else interested in learning more about Bill. Bill's besides being a technocrat, he's also an author and he's uh, authored a book here called The Golden Nugget, which uh, came out, I think, in 2017. And it goes into a lot of detail, probably mentions a lot of the things that you've mentioned here, uh, but and, and, and much, much more. So if anybody's interested in getting a copy of that book, uh, we'll put some information up on the at the end where people can either contact myself or or you directly, Bill, and they can they can get a copy of that book. So thank thank, th- thank you, Doug, for the plug. Let me say this: that uh, anyone who wants a copy of that book, I will be very happy to send it to them at no charge, postage paid. So okay, very good. Well, you're I, being I, much more generous than I was going to be. I was going to say, feel free to call me. I'm going to charge you fifty dollars for this book. And and no. you have to pay postage. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, let's move on. Let me let me ask you a couple of questions. I think people are going to be interested in knowing some of the life lessons that you've learned and things of that sort. So, when you look back on your career, Bill, which has been you know good uh, fifty years, I'm guessing. That's right. What would what would be in your mind the top one, two, maybe even three? accomplishments. I mean, when you're taking that 30,000 foot view and looking back, what do you, what do you, what do you see as far as major accomplishments? Well, the major accomplishment obviously is the development of the vacuum furnace. Yeah. Uh, And that particular uh, horizontal ring of uh, furnace. Yeah. The, um, 
It's 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 been copied. It, we we didn't we didn't patent it at ABAR. Unfortunately, yeah. we should have, but we didn't know what we had, honestly. Yeah. And and then it got out into the field anyway, and we couldn't patent it. Right. But aside from that, that particular approach, that round furnace approach, has been duplicated by all of our competitors around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel very that's a major accomplishment, and it really has my name on it, which yeah. nobody will tell you. <laughs> right, but that's right. okay. Well, that's okay. This is why we do these interviews, as we find yeah. out. And Bill, just so yeah. people know, if you look behind you on your screen, you've got a round cylinder furnace uh, there. I think that's the type of thing that you're talking about with the flat, the flat band uh, heating element. Yes, yes, round, round elements. Yeah, and uh, the, the, it's a graphite hot zone, which was we developed. Uh, the, our original hot zones at Abar were all metal. Mm-hmm. They were molybdenum, and and uh, the elements were molybdenum, and they, the elements were all riveted together, right. and uh, so forth. Now, the, the advantage of graphite is that you don't have to rivet anything, and actually, right. part of my development was to be able to design the furnace, the elements anyway, so that they could be bolted together. Mm-hmm. Originally, originally, the uh, graphite heating elements, particularly the ones that were in the Ibsen furnace, and even predecessors before that, they were all tubular, and they were put together uh, n- not b- with with threads, but, but they were like uh, put together like a, um, uh, a, a not an erector set, but you know uh, this uh, where you have uh, pins and yeah, uh, couplers ju- of some sort. Yeah, yeah, that's not the quite. I'm not quite thinking of it right. But anyway, they, they were just mecha- pushed together, really, yeah. literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were troublesome. The joints loosened up, and they were yeah. difficult. Difficult. Cheap, yes. The, uh, yeah. the the graphite tube was very very inexpensive. So yeah. uh, we developed, and that was done at at my uh, VFS when I established that company. We, we developed the the, the round. Uh, and also the flat, uh, uh, thin graphite uh, heating elements, which were bolted together with graphite screws and nuts. Yeah, which was yeah. that was almost unheard of back then. Now it's been ad- adopted all over the place today. Right. But uh, yeah, th- th- that's some of the major accomplishments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That is that is a major one. Well, you know, I want to I want to move on to the next question, Bill, and that that's basically uh, you know, Doug, Doug, before you get off of this. That yeah. picture that you you noticed, uh, yeah. those big. The reason I I selected that picture on purpose, because to heat treat something of that size and to uh-huh. bring it to full uh, metallurgical properties, which they are, they are actually H eleven or H thirteen. I'm not sure which, but that's not that's not exactly a forgiving alloy to heat treat and bring to full hardness of that uh-huh. size and weight. Right, and that's the advantage of our vacuum gas quenching over pressure. That furnace, or actually almost any one of ours, if you if you design it right, will right. do that job. And right. uh, I can tell you, I tried to to in my early days getting into the heat treating business, I tried to do big rolls like that and fell right on my nose. Uh, this was this this work was done out at our Hermitage plant, which Bob Hill runs, and right. it's an it's an everyday thing. Right, uh, the roles like this and otherwise. That's right. why I put it up there. 
Right. That Hermitage plant's in Western Pennsylvania. And yep, I've been in there. That's a, it's a great plant. You've got a lot of furnaces, much bigger furnaces than that even. So I want to uh, get to the kind of the human side of the, of things here. You know, you've had a, you've had a significant impact on a lot of people in the heat treat industry, myself being one of them, to be quite frank. And, but I'm curious when you were a young man getting involved in the industry, who were a couple of the people who maybe had a significant impact on you? I mean, who helped you along? I worked for a company up in uh, Attleboro, Massachusetts for two years or so. Mm-hmm. And th- they had developed a, uh, a two-color optical pyrometer. And that's why I went to work for them. It had all sorts of uh, problems because of emissivity, which it's a technical thing. I don't want to get into it. But the two-color pyrometer has not been really very well accepted because of that stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the uh, owner of the company, George Bentley, okay. George Dr. Bentley. George Bentley. Yeah. Now, I, I had been, as I say, I was with him for two years. I decided that I, I wanted to leave the company. Now, I was a, a field engineer for them in the Mid-Atlantic, operating out of Philadelphia. That company mm-hmm. is located in Boston. Right. George... George called me on the phone. He said, Bill, I'd like to talk to you. I know you're leaving the company, but I want to have a, a time with you. I said, okay. So this is back in the day when travel was not all that great. So it took me most of the day to get up there. And the next day I went in to see him at about 9, 9.30 in the morning. I sat down with George and we both chit-chatted for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And the most important thing he said to me at the end of the conversation, he said, Bill, I want to tell you something. I have observed you over the years, and he said, I can tell you, you are never going to be happy until you run and own your own business. <laughs> so I, I looked at him, and you know, that went right over the top of my head. Yeah. Because yeah. that was never a thought ever in my mind. Yeah. So, you know, it, it didn't really have any impact for several years, but later I realized he was right. Yeah. Until you're sitting in the top chair and until you're making the decisions of winning and losing, you don't know what it's all about. Right. So that's yeah. that's really, uh, that was a, 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 a prime moving event. There were t- really, I, I can couple them together. There were two people that were uh, quite influential, really in a negative way. And okay. one was George, George Bodine from Lindbergh, and the other was Sam Whalen from Aerobrace. Okay. Now, back in during my toward the end of my A-bar career, I had decided I wanted to go into the heat treating business here in Philadelphia. So I met my wife Mert and I met with uh, their independently. We met with each one of them and their wives, and we had dinner. And they said, "Oh, Bill, you do not want to go into the into the Philadelphia area in the heat treating business. It will never be successful." So oh, that was a put down. I, I met with both uh, jo- George Bodine and, and with uh, Sam Whalen. And uh, they both poured ice water down my back about going into business in the greater Philadelphia area in the heat treating business. Uh-huh. So I cataloged that and uh, later went and did it anyway. Uh, so, th- they were, so in a negative way, those two were very influential. Right. Abe Whalen at Pratt & Whitney. And yep. and I had some people from General Electric that were very influential. Yeah. So you know, there's a whole litany of people that I could I could thank for what they've done in my life and what they've added to my career. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. No, that's good, Bill. So let's, let's, let's advance on here to the next question. I think this is always interesting to find out from somebody. One of those things, if you knew, if you knew at the beginning of your career, something, you know, now, what would it have been? I mean, what was that given your experience? What are the top two or three lessons that you've learned during your career that you think have been you know, most helpful to you? Well, there's a lot of lessons learned. And I would say you know, we, as practical people in the heat treating industry, we tend to poo-poo education. Not always, of course. We have, right. I have metallurgists and PhDs working for us in the company, and I've had others. Anyway, but my point is we tend to, uh, 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 those of us who are practical uh, engineers and, and, and people, others who've come up through the ranks, sort of like my son Roger and others. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we tend to, to, to look at the practical aspects of, of, of uh, heat treating. And, w- okay, so what's the lesson learned from that? Well, education is really part of it. Uh, the basis of, of uh, what we do, you know, really, it comes from the field of chemistry. Metallurgy grew out of chemistry. Yes. So, uh-huh. you know, if, if you don't have a, a, a decent... Uh, educational background, then you 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 don't know the basis of where we came from or where we're. So that's the basis of where we're going. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is, what's the lesson learned? Lesson learned is don't reinvent the wheel, because you know the wheel does not have to be reinvented. And yeah. I think those of us in our younger years tend not to look over things like that. We we tend to say, well, we're going to de- develop this and we're going to do it. And and uh, come hell or high water, and we end up falling on our nose. Yeah. So that's that's the point: is to, to take take a take take the time and and uh, effort to study what's been done, and okay, then go from there. And I would say also the other thing is to listen to what people in the field want, and and what their yeah. comments about what you're trying to do. So I yeah. think that's the most important lesson to to to, to share. Right, right. Listen, listen and learn. Learn and listen. That, those, those are good, Bill. Appreciate that. When we return to Bill and Doug, make sure you're ready to jot down why this family company remained a family company, as well as some tips from Bill as to how to choose the right job. But first, I want to take a quick minute to help you plan for 2022. As you already know, customers are biting up a bit to satisfy their heat treat needs. And with increased demand comes increased competition. So Heat Treat Today wants to help you address your marketing needs with a specific strategy for you. Print advertising, online web presence, periodic advertisements, and high-impact emails, a special combination of a sprinkle here and a little there. Heat Treat Today's 2022 Media Kit, located at heattreattoday.com forward slash 2022 Media Kit, is a great place to start. Get the lowdown on what's popular, when media items published, and what a package could cost. We love helping you help your customers. So if you know what you want, get in touch with the outstanding Michelle Rittenauer in sales via michelle at heattreattoday.com. Otherwise, heattreattoday.com forward slash 2022 Media Kit is the way to go. Now, over to Bill and Doug with the last segment of today's episode. Any disciplines that you've developed, your work disciplines, just like your work day or your work week, any disciplines that you've developed over the years that have been helpful? Well, as I said, uh, part of your, your your disciplines is 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 your educational background. I don't want to emphasize that too much. 
but th- that's an important base to start from. Right. Now, my life has been a very workaday place. I mean, I, I have put <laughs> all kinds of hours into, into my career and my work. And I, I didn't do it to make money. I, I, I did it because, as I said in my early comments, I'm a technocrat. And so if I see something that I think needs to be developed, I work on it and I, yeah. I get to it. So I think work ethic in our business is very important. And people who are successful, certainly in the heat treating business and in almost any of engineering discipline, you have right. to put work into what you're doing. And if you don't, and I'm not ta- I'm talking about, you know, more than 40 hours a week. You, 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 you're going to work 40, 60 hours a week right. in order to accomplish. I know, Doug, you're doing that in what you do. Because yeah. I see what your development of your magazine and your 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 all the things that you do, you're putting endless hours into the development of that thing. Uh, the the development of a business is is like pushing a big uh, cart up a hill, and you're going to push 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 and get that cart up onto the top of the hill, and and, and you never stop pushing. Yeah, <laughs> you get you get to the top of the hill, and you think you're just going to relax and go from there, but you can't. Yeah, there's always yeah. there's a, always another mountain. Yeah, and, another uh, another hill, another portion of the hill. Well, let me ask you this because it it kind of addresses the next question I wanted to ask you, and that was about work life balance. Have you had to struggle with that, and how have you dealt with it? Well, that's a very interesting comment. If my wife was here, she would tell you that I've dedicated my life to my work and I've abandoned her. <laughs> that's not really that's not really quite true. Except, no. you know, I, my wife Mert and I have been married for more than sixty years, and she is a wonderful helpmate. She has run the household since our early our early marriage, yeah. and raised our children. I did too, but she was principal. The mother right. is the core of the family and the father, he's just a pro creator, I guess, or something like that. (laughs) But you you know where I'm coming from. So is that getting your life in balance with, with work is, is, is always a a challenge. And I think, yeah. And, uh, I, I, uh, I was in, I've been involved in church things for many years. And one, one of our pastors once came to me with a, something he wanted me to do. Yeah. And I, his name was John Clark. And I said, John, don't you realize how busy I am? And to take this on is more than I really want to do. Yeah. And he said to me, Bill, don't you know, if you want something done, you go to a busy person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I did it. So obviously. you got the job. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I've got I've got two a two part question here for you now. And that's that's, uh, you know, I'm sure over your career, you've had many ups and many downs. So I want to start with maybe one of the downs. What was one of the most difficult trying times of your career? And then after that, I want to know, you know, what was the highlight? What, what do you think was the really the one of the, the, the pinnacles of your of your time? Well, I would have to say uh, the most trying time in my career, I've been involved in three lawsuits. Uh-huh. And okay. they, if you get involved with the lawyers and with the court, believe me, that is a trial. Now, yeah. I was successful in each one of these in, 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 in not being litigated to, to the point where I, I had to 
either pay or go to jail or what have you. But right, but right. Uh, if if you get when you get involved with the law and with attorneys, number one, it becomes expensive, mm-hmm. and and number two, it it it, it, it you know you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights over it. And, yeah. and that's just bad. Now, I have learned to uh, avoid that at all costs if I can. Yeah. Look, when you're in the business world, there are going to be challenging things. Something doesn't work, whatever. And, and somebody's going to come back at you if they can. We're, we live in a very litigious world. That's the problem. Yeah. And, and people don't always live up to their obligations. And I've learned it's best to do that. I'll give you an example. Just within the last two years, this never went. This was not a legal problem, but uh, we had a furnace that was in the field and it had a deficiency in the furnace and it was not easy to fix. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision to to completely bring that furnace back here to our main plant and to give the customer a brand new furnace. Yeah. And by the way, we're talking about something that's $600,000. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it's better to do that than it is to to suffer the consequences. Yeah, by the to way, go to court. Right. Now, we brought that furnace back and I personally went over that with a fine tooth comb to find out what in the world was wrong with it. We located the problems. I had, it was in the chamber. I had the chamber remachined on the flan- front flange mm-hmm. and that meant tearing the whole furnace apart putting it back together again it was only two years old so yeah. we completely re- reach you know fixed the problem right. put it back online and then we resold it now we yeah. obviously lost money in the whole process but our customer ended up happy with a new furnace and we didn't you know we, we satisfied him right and and uh, we went on from there so they're just a highlight of some of the issues that you can get into right there are some personal issues that sometimes are hurt but there's also a lot of gratification too. A lot yeah. of people, yeah, that right. that, 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 that I that have appreciate some of the things that we've done, and I've appreciated more what they've done. Yeah, yeah. So that so so lawsuits and things of that sort obviously are kind of the low the low point. Can you can you nail down one? I mean, when you look back, what was the most what was the most enjoyable the 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 highlight of your career? So far. Well, uh, okay. I would have to say <laughs> that, look, when I tested that first round hot zone, I did it by myself at night in a plant that was, o- I was the only one there. <laughs> and we had a big sight glass in the front of the furnace and I could see the entire hot zone, uh, the heating element, the heat shields, the back, sh- the, the ring and so forth. And I was, I was able to measure the temperature yeah. and it was a Wow. This, yeah. this thing, this thing works. Yeah. So that's the, that sort of thing is the, the, a highlight. Um, I, 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 I would have thought, Bill, if I can interrupt you, I would have thought if I would have answered this question for you, I would have thought you would have said something a, a, along the lines of starting your own company and building, building a, you've, you've built what? Well, not just two, you built two furnace manufacturing companies and you've got what? Four uh fairly successful i say fairly and with air quotes right fairly successful uh yeah. commercial heat treat companies i would have thought that a lot of the accomplishments on those lines would have been uh would have been highlights for you yeah no 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 you're right and and along those lines um the the car bottom furnace furnaces that we've built 
Yeah. And particularly the ones that are at Hermitage in Western Pennsylvania. Um, the very first one, that's, that's, a, that's a chapter in itself on how that furnace came to be. Right. Anyway, it was designed and built by a group of engineers. And I was on top of that. So mm-hmm. that, and we met weekly during the design phase, and uh, then we 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 didn't put it together completely here at Souderton. We put it we we put it together to know that it was vacuum tight and so forth. Then mm-hmm. we took the furnace all apart, shipped it to Hermitage, put it all back together again, and we ran test cycles on that furnace empty, uh-huh. and uh, it did everything that we wanted it to empty. But that's not putting a workload in it. Yeah. So. We had on the shop floor, one of the reasons for, for, for building that furnace was to price, process these big titanium coils uh, that, w- that were very heavy. And so there were, we put six of them into the furnace. I had that. I, I did that. I said, I want to process six of these coils. And, and uh, you know, we had like a 20, 25,000 pound workload of titanium in the furnace yeah, yeah. worth a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about probably a million dollars of work yeah. in the furnace. So at the time, Bob Hill said, oh, Bill, you're not, you're not going to run the, the final product first. He said, I think we should run a, make a run with just some scrap steel that we have around. I yeah. said, no, Bob, I am thoroughly convinced <laughs> this furnace is going to work and work right. Yeah. So let's put the let's put the coils in there and run it. We yeah. did. You know what? <laughs> it was a hundred percent right. It worked, yeah. <laughs> and and so it was a big yeah. success. But to yeah. this day, Bob will you ever ask him about that, and he'll say, "Oh, yeah, yeah." That's it was. Well, that was a risky. So, that was a risky venture right there. Yeah, there have been other things too, but yeah. you know. That's good. That was one of the highlights. Yeah, that's good. All right, let me ask you a couple couple final questions, if I can. Based on based on what you're seeing going on today in the world, in the industry, however, wherever you want to take this one, Bill, is there any advice or wisdom that you'd give to today's up and coming heat treat industry people? Well, there's. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, I, w- I would say this. Uh, there's nothing, as I think from my prior comments, you'll get this. There's nothing beats uh, hard work there's, uh, and dedication to what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So what would I say to a young, a young person? Let's say somebody that was, you know, in college, maybe, and uh, they, they, want, they, they want to think about their career. First of all, you want to do something that you're happy doing. You don't want to work at something that you're unhappy at. If you're unhappy, get out of it and go do something else. Right. So you want to, you want to be happy at your job. That's number one. Uh, then you, you have to be properly prepared for it. You have to have enough education to go forward. If you're going to be a writer or uh, something involved in marketing, you have to have some uh, experience and, and training in that field. Right. I have a marketing person sitting in the room with me, so I have to say that <laughs> she's right. a young she's a young person, so I can talk to her. <laughs> but that, 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 that's the kind of thing that I think that the advice I would give to a young person: you want to uh, be dedicated, you want to be happy, and and uh, you want to work at it. You have to work at it. It's not going right. to just you're just not going to have it handed to you. Right. You have to work right. at least here in our economy in 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 the United States, which we have a wonderful opportunity. The only opportunity yes. in the world really is here in the United States. Right, right. Very good. So last question. I, I, this one has 
been an interesting kind of a question I'd like to, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, the, the group of companies that you've established, solar manufacturing, magnetic specialties, and all the solar atmosphere companies are all U.S.-based family-owned businesses, right? A, a single business, I should say. I mean, separate entities, but, you know, all owned by you and Mert and whatever. Well, no, that's right. No, I can tell you that uh, 100% of our companies are owned by Mert and I. Yeah. And that yeah. we have no, we have no uh, other shareholders or stockholders. Originally, right. at VFS, I did. Right. But, uh, when we, when I, I, that's a long story. The story's in my book. But, right. But, uh, no, today, okay. we are 100%. Uh, uh, Mert and I own the businesses, and of course, right. this is this is a two-edged sword. If yeah. if we all these businesses are up and running and they're all successful, pretty much like they are today, and yeah. I was for if I was forty years old, I would have another, you know, possibly forty years to look forward to and to, yeah. to operate these businesses. Now, at my age, I'm over eighty years old. So, how many years do I have ahead of me? And there, you know, you can count them on one hand. If that, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> well, you so don't know. I was going to say, let's not put a limit on that. Lord knows. No, but, uh, that's right. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, you and you and I understand that all too well. Yeah. So, you know, it's all in the Lord's hands. And uh, yeah, I, Mert and I both feel that we've got a few years ahead of us. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we don't know. We just don't know. Now, right. you, someone else commented to me. They said, well, you know, you're the only, you know, most of your uh, your your other competitors and, and so forth have been bought and sold by other businesses and, and you right. have not. Well, right. I've looked at these companies that have been bought. Somebody made some money when they were when they were sold. But I can tell you the employees certainly didn't make out on that. Right. Any employee that's involved, if you're particularly if you're at the higher end of the company, your your life is in jeopardy because you don't know what the new owners are going to do. Right. Exactly. And half the time you're going to be within two years, you're going to be out in the street. Right. And all right. the hard work that you've put into the company is going to go down the drain. Right. Well, so, this is kind of this, this is kind of getting to the core of the question that I wanted to ask. And that was that you've got you've got successful companies going on. They're family owned. They're going into, I believe he's also got there sitting in the room there, a third generation of Jones who is going to be helping to run the business, things of that sort. So many of your competitors, whether they be furnace manufacturers or actual commercial heat treaters, have either been sold, consolidated into bigger companies, or, or in the, on the furnace side of things, many of them are now owned by international companies, companies outside the United States. My question to you specifically is... Why do you think it is that solar has been one of the few companies that has been successful in maintaining a privately owned, family owned business where others haven't? A family owned company. And the fact that we have not been bought or sold. And by the way, we've had the opportunity. But yes, uh, yes. I didn't want any part of it. Why? What's the bottom line? Why? You know, well, it's very simple. Money is not a driving factor in my life or my wife's life. Mm -hmm. Money is not it. You, you know, the old saying is, when you go to the grave, there's not going to be a U-Haul it in back of you. <laughs> You're going there with what you came with, which is nothing. So, <laughs> right. you know, I, yeah. money is, it, okay, 
My father once said, well, money doesn't really mean anything except that you can live a little more comfortably. He was right about that. But at this point in our lives, my wife and I are comfortable enough, and we certainly don't need to add on and on and on to our personal wealth. Mm -hmm. So I I guess just to put it in simple terms, there's no reason for us to sell the company. If we can turn it over to our operating people who now are running it, and if they can do it successfully, God bless them. Yeah. And w- what I have started and my wife, Mert, have started can continue. And you're right. Uh, in the room with me is, is Trevor, my grandson, and he is a third generation. And in back of him, there's another Jones. His name is Cole, who is now 14 years old. He's not working <laughs> for the company. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, like Trevor, Trevor w- worked in this company since he was 16 years old, maybe a little yeah. earlier. He's saying, yeah, I think you're right. But, you know, his his <laughs> yeah. whole life, like mine, has been dedicated to this business. Right, right, right. Well, very good, very good. So Bill. I don't know whether that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think it does. I think just the the, the quick answer, you're not a money-driven person, I think is says says a lot. So, well, Bill, that's it. I, I really appreciate the time you've taken to spend with us. I'm, I want to encourage people in the industry to make sure they pick up a copy of your book, The Golden Nugget. Uh, and Entrepreneur Speaks by William Jones and Heather Idell or Ideal? Idell. Heather Idell. Heather Idell helped you write that book. So it's worth it's worth reading. Bill, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, appreciate the time you spent with us today. And uh, congratulations on being a, a heat treat legend. Yeah. Thank you very much. The Lord's blessed us in that respect, Doug, and yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Right. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to Heat Treat legend Bill Jones. Heat Treat Radio is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. Also, to learn more about today's guests, head over to solaratm.com. You can also send an email to me and I'll put you in touch with Bill. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always looking for new, interesting topics to talk about on Heat Treat Radio. If you have an idea for a future episode, or if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. And just a quick plug before we go, Heat Treat Today has a lot of technical content that we promote and publish each week on Tuesdays. In fact, the feature is called Technical Tuesdays. Stop by the website, heattreattoday.com, or subscribe to the Heat Treat Daily e-newsletter to stay in the know every week. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank Heat Treat Today's 2022 Media Kit for sponsoring this episode. Plan your 2022 at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash 2022 Media Kit. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd, our very talented audio and visual producer, created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thanks, Jonathan. And I'm Bethany Leon. Thank you for listening.